Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Social Innovation Podcast. I'm here with Mick Labinskis, who is the founder of Climate Salad, which is actually an Australian Slack channel dedicated to connecting entrepreneurs and investors. And I'll just let Mick say a few words and introduce hey, himself. Thanks, Al. Yes. Co-founder of Climate Salad. We are a network that helps climate tech companies in Australia and New Zealand get to global scale and solve climate problems by helping them find teams, build products, get customers and raise capital. So they're doing the hard work. We're just um, supporting and make their life slightly easier. I mean, that's not that's not really the only thing that you do in climate space, is it, right? You, you definitely are involved with a few other companies and as an investor and an advisor yes. as well. Yes. So I got deeply into climate about six years ago and I've slowly been learning this new craft. I'm a tech guy for many, many years, but predominantly you know, software devices and way back when doing desktop software, which was a long, long time ago. And I've been yeah, working with a lot of companies and various levels. So probably... Worked with about 100 climate tech companies over the last few years. Uh, directly invested as a, with a major role in two companies, Cecil Earth, which is a nature-based solutions, and Ripe Robotics, which is changing the way agriculture uh, picks fruit, so fruit and vegetables, so trying to reduce waste on the farm by robotics. Um, and then I've um, done through syndicates, invested in about eight companies through Aussie Angels and also AngelList climate tech companies, so... Everything from kelp burgers to smart windows and hydrogen. So, yeah, looking to be diversified and help where I can. So you said that you've been doing this or you've been learning about it six years. Was there, I'm always curious to understand, like, what was there an event? Was there something that took place that made you start Yeah, there, look, there was path? 10 really. There was, I moved to the U.S., and really realized that whilst I loved my time in tech, I was looking for something new. I was always a private environmentalist. You just love doing that. I mostly sort of my private life rather than my work. And I worked across health tech, education tech, all kinds of different technologies. I watched a couple of documentaries, read a couple of books. And so I was kind of primed and ready, but, but by far the biggest thing was my best friend in the world who 20 years ago decided to leave his high paying gig and uh, learn about climate and, um, has dedicated his life to it. He works for a company called Principles of Responsible Investment in the UK. You know that advise these big pension funds, super funds on uh, private private offices like BlackRock on understanding climate finance, climate risk. And then the um, when Donald Trump pulled out of the Paris Agreement, I uh, messaged him as a good friend does and says, "Ha ha, your job just got harder." And he, we used to play competitive basketball together and um, he pinged me back at just a one-liner which changed my life, which just said, um, yep, maybe it's time you got in the game. And it was a very, it was a very subtle, but you know, I oh, took wow. it, I was like, mm, look, I'm a dad of three and he attached the IPCC latest report and a couple of other documents. And you know, one of the great things about me moving to the US was it gave me a time away from the Australian industry to think about different things in different ways. And you know, I just uh, went to a cafe, read all these documents, and, and once you once you see the reality of what's what we've done to the environment, you can't unsee that. And again, as a dad of three kids, I just was like, "Can I do something to help here?" And and I was like, "Look, I think this is my new thing. I'm going to go explore it." And it's a challenge. I'm one percent in, but I'm loving it. You know, something that you said was, "Once you see it, you can't unsee it." Part of the problem that a lot of people maybe they just don't see it at the moment, and you know, once you're once you've seen it, you're like, how can you be so ignorant to this? But the reality is that whatever that tipping point, everybody is faced at different places that are 
trying to be on this journey. If somebody hasn't gone through that personally, they will struggle to, to find those compelling Yeah, I, reasons, I recognize, right? again, my path was um, very privileged in dozens of ways. And I had that massive influence you know, of, a, of a close friend and the time and opportunity to go and do these things. But it's so many of the benefits of what we've done to the environment have accrued to people like me and me personally. And I can sit back and be like, hey, not my problem, but you know, I, I, I'm going to see the effects. I'm, we're seeing the effects. I'm going to see worse effects on my kids. And it's like, I'm really lucky to be have been involved in industry where if you invest in anything two years later, you'll see the results of it. Not immediately, no no instant gratification, but I know if you if you spend time building a product and MVP, in two years later, you can have happy customers and solve some problems. It was really easy for me to reverse engineer back from 2030 and be... And uh, look at my kids who'd be, you know, in their late teens being like, how could you, dad? <laughs> how could you live like that? How could you drive a combustion engine and eat meat and pollute the world? And the only the only thing I can do to, to allay that guilt is to basically to work my butt off and try to solve as much of the problems I can with the added benefit of I might actually help a bit. Yeah, like I think I'm incredibly privileged and I don't begrudge anybody. It's I've got cynics in my family and friends and... I never asked them to do anything. And, and I think actually good entrepreneurship isn't about saying, hey, everybody has to get on the green bandwagon and change their whole lives and spend more money. I think that's the best entrepreneurship is indistinguishable from real magic. And it should just be, you know, the best tasting burger in the world is a kelp burger and the best car is a is a EV and we've got to make them better products. We cannot rely on the world. The world is just not that privileged, unfortunately, and we can't rely on it. We certainly can't say to the developing worlds, I know that we just developed for 100 years using cheap energy, but no, you can't do it. So no way. Like as a dad reading books to my kid, one of my favorite books is The Lorix. And it's like, you know, basically says if if not you, who? And if not now, when? And I ran out of excuses. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd start to try. It's funny you should mention books. I, you have quite a uh, close relationship, I would imagine, right? I mean, you're not many people I know are published authors. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I published as an independent through an independent publisher uh, out of the US, and I wrote a book called "She's Building a Robot," and that was my my last side gig. I did, did write it in the US, and it was for my mostly because I was reading to my daughters, and just most books are about males, uh, male lead characters, and I was just like. That's crazy. So I combine two things I care about, which is more diversity and uh, and technology. Look, I've sold a few thousand copies. I loved the journey. It was really interesting. It was very, very different to writing. I just today like updated my webpage about five times just to try stuff. But when you write a book, you've got to write it and fit it, finish it and send it. Enjoy that journey uh, and do do love books. I think they'll hopefully remain a part of the world. But um, yeah, there's, there's other things we need to do to convince the next generation. What you're saying is, 100% spot on about providing a better product in every way. And I think sustainability is a team sport. It is everybody trying to do what they can, where they can. It's a nice segue to bring you into Climate Salad and, and what was the inspiration behind that and setting Honestly, that up. Honestly, I'm... I didn't know quite what to do. When I first started working six years ago, I was like, well, I'm not a, I can't solve nuclear fusion. What can I actually do? And really, really fortunately, problems that, that entrepreneurs with climate tech, building climate tech companies have at least a solid overlap with building any company. Look, I'm, I'm not even pretending to be the best entrepreneur in the world. I don't even know if I'm a good entrepreneur. I, I enjoy working with them. It's hard and I've got some experience and hopefully I can help. But I was really lucky to find that some of the companies just wanted Again, build a team, build a product, get customers and raise capital. I'm like, hey, I can do that. And when I came back to Australia three years ago, started working with companies and 
like it was very slowly to begin with. And then last year, uh, the momentum started to really build and it shifted in the whole world. I certainly won't pretend we did it. The timing was right. The world adjusted, the, the finance world got it and was moving a couple of years ago. The reports were getting worse. There was more like Australian bushfires. Like I think half the world was on fire, half the world was being flooded, freezing here, boiling there. Like it's just significantly more evidence the exponential growth of my attention was getting pressured. So working with four or five companies became 10 to 15 and it was like just uh, unscalable. And then the 10 to 15, and then I had a lot of mentors wanting to meet with them and I had a lot of companies, investors want to meet with them and corporates were getting involved and governments were contacting me. And I just needed a kind of a vehicle to put it all in. And honestly, to begin with, and looking back at the, I think that my LinkedIn description still said like climate tech news, because I was just going to share reviews of climate tech products. Like that was the first five posts was me basically writing about, I, I wrote about a ear swab product, like a reusable one. Like that, that's how basic I was getting. So it was, it was going to be a newsletter. And then it just like, just snowballed. Like it was like 20, 30 40 climate tech companies and then more mentors and more investors. I was like, I'm throwing you all in a Slack channel. And I said, like, I need to pay the bills. Eventually I'm going to charge hundred bucks a year. And they're like, yeah, yeah, great. No problems. So no one had a problem with it. So, and then it was just like, oh, okay, running events. Then it was more talks. And then there was more workshops and more tools. And it was like a Charlotte Connell came in to help me on engagement with the community. And she's done amazingly. And then we were like, hey, let's get everyone together in Sydney. So we ran this showcase and it was like, maybe we'll sell 50 tickets. And we're like, we sold 200 tickets. And and it was not about the tickets, but it was about getting everyone in a room and showcasing the technology. And it's snowballed from there. Like it's been, again, it's, I've certainly leveraged and pushed my network, which I've built over 20 years. Like I've, I've lent on that a lot. I've really proudly transitioned that over to this new industry, which is a combination of climate entrepreneurship and tech and really with like climate side is still working out what what we are like we we share content we have the slack community we run t- training events we do mentor matching like people like yourself zal come in and help these companies and we are really scrappy like we we are legitimately a startup helping startups that's completely we've had a bit of corporate support and we're looking for maybe some government support but you know i, I put in a tiny amount of money but we've got a tiny team and we've got a big there's a big opportunity here so we just we've got a We've got to find our own way to be financially sustainable so we can help these companies keep growing. I love the fact that you guys are, are scrappy and fighting it out and, and also that it's a place for the community. I mean, you know, I know there's a website. I've, I've maybe been to it four or five times, but I'm in that Slack community every day, posts and the how active it is with people reaching out. It's really, you know, it's a fantastic experience. And I think that leads me on to the next kind of big project that you undertook last year, which is amazing. And I think that every country needs to undertake this, which was your Climate Tech 100 map. And that was you talking about all the different climate tech Mm. that's out there in Australia, trying to map that, trying to have people understand what's in the space. So tell me about that and and, and how that all came together. Yeah, so one of the uh, groups I worked with in the US, um, well, even back in Australia, was in in education technology with Navitas. And um, two of the people I worked with there, Patrick and Maria, uh, eventually spun that out and started, sorry, spun out a a project around data and started a company called Whole and IQ. Their goal was to build an impact intelligence organization. So, um, but like Bloomberg, but for for impact, Bloomberg data for impact. So they were they were doing amazingly, growing like growing crazy and and doing such a good job in education and really leading the whole world. And a totally global company with a big base in the US and and, and China and Europe as well. And the thing that really struck me about climate was a lot of people were saying it's just not big enough, it's just not active enough. There's not enough quality and quantity, and also the complexity. 
there was clean tech and sustainability, but and even what is sustainability? Clean tech's like you know clean energy, but climate's a bigger problem and it's complex. It, you know, there's reducing emissions, removing emissions, adaptation, mitigation, uh, environmental improvement, biodiversity. There's hardware, like there's science and there's food and there's uh, ag and there's just so much complexity to it. Now, I just started badgering Patrick and be like, what you've done for education, technology and education industry generally, we need for climate. And thankfully, he doesn't live far from me. And I just kept I just kept on and on and on and talked to him and showed him the problems. And, sh- and I kept sending these things I was reading, which convinced me about climate because he's a dad too. And I'm like, like education is really important, but education on a planet that's, that doesn't work is not going to help. We are, COP26 is coming out. We need to do it now. And the project was actually global. So they, they did the Climate Tech 1000 globally. If you Google Climate, climate Tech uh, Global Landscape Report, you'll get their page. And then what they did is they basically went out to every data source and they sucked it all in and they used their machine learning processes to collect all the information about every region and understand this new industry from the bottom up. They built this sector map and taxonomy based on you know what is actually happening in the industry. And what I was really interested in was, number one, is it true? Is there not enough companies, certainly in the world or Australia, New Zealand, trying to solve these problems? Because a lot of the world is hoping that technology is going to solve these problems. <laughs> And I, I've always known as a as an entrepreneur that hope is a terrible strategy. And you can hope that they're going to do it, but I wanted to know. Like it wasn't good enough for me. Like I, I wanted to know. So was is there enough globally and what's in Australia New Zealand? Where are our strengths? Where are our weaknesses? Help me communicate to everyone else. Like as you said, like not everyone's going to get this. It is really complicated. But let's have a framework by which we can talk about climate tech that's more than just sustainability or clean tech like these areas like really really understand it so um, they took about three months they end up profiling about eight and a half thousand companies globally we were trying to find at least 50 companies in australia new zealand and i was like please 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 give me at least 50 like maybe we'll get to 100 we end up finding 684 companies that basically which were solving climate problems or identified clearly as as having a climate mission um, we had a climate yeah, Tech 100 for Australia, New Zealand, and we built the taxonomy, and that was the MVP. Like that, this year they are going, they've tripled down, and they're going around the world doing everything in climate tech, and it's going to be phenomenal. Like Patrick ended up going to COP26. Data is being really well received. They just they've got a really really important role to play, and um, really proud of the work that the whole on IQ team have done, and just glad that you know that what they solved for climate salad is all the investors were like, oh. Okay, it is big, it is strong, great, let's get more involved. Like we literally tripled the amount of investors interested in this space following that. And it, it became like there was a investor uh, survey done uh, about three months ago, uh, Cut Through Ventures, and climate and clean tech is the highest level of interest for new investments in Australia. You know, I think we've done a great job of getting it on the map and getting it started, but it's still early days. Probably deserve a little bit of credit for your badgering and harassing to get that map made and to get it done. Otherwise, you know, without the persistence, uh, it might have taken a while. And I think what you're saying is absolutely right. There are so many amazing companies doing really incredible, incredible things that the average person sitting at home probably wouldn't even be able to think about from a local community standpoint up on and doing at a global level. And I think you know, what you're doing both with Climate Salad and the list is just allowing people to see this space, allowing people to see, you know, what is going on in Australia and New Zealand, where 
who is in your landscape, who are your competitors. And, and for investors, exactly that. There are all of these companies out there, you know, that there's an opportunity here for you. Yeah, exactly. And so one of the projects we're doing right now is a, is a deeper dive on that data for Australia and New Zealand. We're doing a, a full census and building an industry report and trying to understand what markets are they focused on, where they're with revenue and customers, how are they measuring um, impact, you know, how, how are their teams growing, what's their diversity like. We've got about 30 responses so far. Um, I, you know, I hope we will get to at least 100 and that'll give us again more more data. Like it's, we need data to convince the corporates and governments and media and um, and consumers that there are opportunities here. And every market needs to do it. That's absolutely global. So yeah, it's 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 a good start, but it's um, there's a massive sense of urgency. Like if, if this was about optimizing, frankly, if this was about education or or equality, income equality, or gender equality, or health, absolutely those things are very important and they should be done as quickly as they can. But there's a different sense of urgency around climate because we've already got the debt, like we've got the environmental debt hanging over us. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Like we are still going backwards. We need to do it quickly. We don't have ten years to slowly build this system out organically we need to accelerate it you know you raised something there which is something that i i try to ask people that are in the space how do you measure impact you know what is the effective score for whether a you know recycling plant is more impactful than a mangrove regeneration project and i know you don't have the answer i'm just i'm understanding from your point of view like how, how do you yeah. measure impact it's it's a really good question, and it's. I was chatting to the Breakthrough Ventures team, and you know they've they've decided just to focus on greenhouse gas emissions uh, equivalence reduction. Like they're half a gigaton is their their minimum goal. That's it, and that's great. I think some people will be very very specific around that. But that won't be enough. Like we you know, companies like uh, Floodmap out of out of Australia um, who are doing great things globally help prevent through understanding floods manage them that, that are happening and also recover from floods so they we have to do adaptation we absolutely have to we, i was just talking today to some um to some investors about carbon dioxide removal carbon capture and storage like and even se and sequestration like all the methods to take things out of the environment like to a large is actually critical we won't we won't get there purely by reducing what we've already got out there it's too much out so we need to go across all, all these areas and it's it's telling that we don't have a measurement like we there's always been a cost of carbon the fact that we've never had to measure it says like we measure everything compare it to to dollars you can get 45,000 bits of data around every bit of dollar that's spent everywhere, efficiency, etc. because the dollar has mattered to humanity in, in capitalism. We felt the environment's free. We felt the oceans are free, the air is free, food is free, basically, in terms of cost money and those things. But it's, um, haven't thought about the effects on that having a cost, but it, oh, of course it has. And we need to really quickly understand it. So some things are simpler. In terms of like you sold your combustion car and got an EV and now you are putting less, you reduced your amount of emissions going out. That's clearer. You can do carbon capture and storage um, like Climeworks out of Iceland, pull it out of the air, you know, a ton of carbon and put it under the ground. That's clear. Adaptation mitigation, you've got to talk in terms of lives saved or dollars saved. People are dying right now of climate, of global warming. There's absolutely no doubt about it. People are dying from heat, from cold, from water and flooding, from rising tides, from starvation, and that's going to get worse. So, I was watching a drawdown lecture today, and he said, you know, everybody, maybe we don't understand what a significant, when we talk about one and a half to two degrees of warming, uh, everybody shrugs it off like you can turn your aircon up one, one to two degrees and it doesn't make a difference. His reference point was that the last ice age was only 
a two to three degree drop. And so when you think about the fact that that impact on the planet, the change of how everything was functioning on this planet from two to three degrees, getting cooler or getting warmer, it just I imagine you, you're looking at the complete opposite effect. And, and that's just a, the start of what you should, you know, what you could be feeling that's going on if, if we let the temperature get out of hand. And you're right. That is such, it's such a small amount that we don't think about it. Which so, it's so easy for us to dismiss. It can have yeah, a Yeah, absolutely. It, there's, and there's real, this goes to the, to the opportunity for everyone to play a role here because I speak to physicists, chemists, biologists, mechanical engineers who are solving these really hard problems. But today I chatted to Lily Dempster from One Small Step. And she's got an app that sits on your phone. And instead of getting you to watch another cat video, the app gets you to take uh, an action, a positive action around climate. And so the consumer behavior change of understanding a situation and getting you to move is really, really powerful and important. Consumers aren't going to solve all the problems, but every single consumer that makes um, a a positive decision actually helps. Like we we got here because of a trillion tiny decisions of which we didn't think of the consequences of, and we can get out of it with a trillion positive decisions. Absolutely, I think there's communication issues, and especially when you have people being defensive. You have governments and big business, and people's jobs are specifically paid to obfuscate this. The the carbon footprint was designed specifically um, to make people think it's their responsibility. Like, tell me about your life. Well, you are contributing this much. That's your fault. It's like, well, you know what? I don't really have an alternative. Um, it's, it's bizarre when you read into this, and it's it gets wor- it gets just worse. I'm lucky that I have unbridled optimism and positivity because you know reading things like how the world America had campaigns to get people to, to throw things away. They had to train people basically to say no, 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 no. If you don't like the shirt, just throw it away, buy a new one. If you're got your bottle, don't recycle it, just throw it out. Like of course, my grandparents' generation weren't just like throwing it away. They didn't have that consumption mentality so it's been trained into again a privileged part of the world but we so we've got to we've got to train out of it so the communication has been very confusing i actually wrote a post on it about the degrees because i totally agree like i'm i'm working with some scientists and i they keep talking about this and i get that that's important but totally to your point like one and a half degrees doesn't sound like very much and the, the way i was trying to present it was if you've got a sick person or a sick child and their t- temperature goes up one and a half degrees, you take them to the hospital. It's for core temperatures. It's actually bad. Even that, right? It's even bushfires and floods. And unless you're personally affected by, and you're privileged enough to be able to make a choice, because the vast majority of people in poverty in sub-Saharan Africa aren't saying, well, gee, Mick, yeah, sure, let me sell my internal combustion engine and I'm, I'm eating meat all the time, I'll just eat. But they're not making those decisions. They're mostly vegetarian anyway. They don't tr- transport. It's it's on the affluent world who had the benefit and it's up to them to make those decisions. So I'm ranting a lot, but... <laughs> I mean, the, you know, the one stat that blew me away was that the 100 most polluting country companies account for 75% of all the carbon emissions because, you know, they come from the big oil oil, the big steel, it's like yeah. this like the heavy industry. You're right. Even yeah. with drinks, you know, it was made that recycling was our problem and our fault if we didn't recycle. Now, don't get me wrong, I think that every dollar that you use is a vote. It's a vote for the kind of uh, life that you want, the kind of world that you want to believe in and bring in. And at, at least that's what, what I think. And I, again, 
agree with you. It's from a privileged position. But in every situation, you know, when you are buying a particular brand or a product, you're trying to associate with some of those values. And I am seeing a shift, but whether that shift is happening fast enough and through a vast majority of people, but definitely in the last five years, I think the awareness that we need to make a change has become more prevalent. As with everything, I don't know how excited people are to make that change or how ready they are to make that change. You know, it's like they had a survey, which was how many people want to support or, you know, want to stop global warming and 95%. Yes, yes, of course, it's it's horrible. Then they asked the same people, okay, well, how much are you willing to spend to stop global warming? Basically as little as possible. And that green premium is still there in so many cases because a lot of the things that are environmentally ethical or better for the planet have not had the decades of thought, energy, effort put into them to get the price as low down as it as it is, you know? Like the reason a McDonald's burger is so cheap is not because they've had so much time to refine that whole process for so long to get it as cheap as possible that beyond an impossible, they will, you know, they, they're, they're going to need a little while to ramp that up as well before they start getting there. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, the reality is we can't wait for regulation to completely put the full price in. But your McDonald's burger should cost twenty dollars, and your uh, Beyond Burger should cost three dollars fifty. Like it's, um, but we don't have time to wait for that. We have to. Um, but it, it is on the entrepreneurs to go and build better products, like the Tesla. Right? If the Tesla was purely just environmentally better, it would have been a flop. But it was an awesome car that was super fast. And it was it was a bonus, right? So I think my view is there's enough consumers now who are motivated. Businesses are definitely motivated. They recognise that there is there is big loss if they don't act, big gain if they do act, and, and personal motivation. So I think that's the the right way. And there's enough governments. I think it, it's because they're also paying the price. Like they're paying the price for lack of energy security, lack of food security, lack of water security, health risks. Everyone's like, oh, well, there's no point doing it if China doesn't do it. China has been so, they're still growing and they've still got cold fire power plants, but they've got massive pollution issues. When I visited China, there were days when you just could not go outside. It was just too polluted. Like they need to clean the air. Like it's, I think India is the same. And um, again, we've got to bring the whole world. We can't, it's a single environment. We have to care for it. it. National borders don't make too much of a difference other than the fact that there is massive inequality between a lot of the countries. Benefits of the environmental degradation has gone to the affluent companies, uh, countries and companies. And my view is like, it's what's going to hold them to go and do that. You know, I'm not going to be enough. I don't have billions of dollars and you've got Mike Cannon-Brooks's and Bill Gates's and others who are positive behind this, but I am optimistic. I believe we've got enough technology. There's enough momentum now. Bill talked about Moore's law where microchip technology basically doubled in power per dollar every two years. And we need Moore's law to apply to like every single part of climate for the next 10 years. Something that I read, Uh, and it's possible, which made me feel a little bit more comfortable, specifically when they were talking about renewable energy. They said renewable energy is technology. It's not a resource. The theory being that Moore's law applies to renewable energy far more than it applies to something like coal or oil or natural gas, where you are limited by however much you can pull out of the ground or the the ocean or whatever it is. Whereas as solar cells get better, as we're able to understand aerodynamics of wind tunnels better or like wind flow better, we get more efficient at producing energy. And that becomes self-perpetuating prophecy, which made me 
think, well, it is technology more than it is anything else, right? And it's just having enough minds looking at it. And, and I think, you know, that's what we're seeing now. At least that's what I hope we're seeing now is that so many different minds are put onto so many different parts of the problem that everybody is yeah. sort of chipping away at this. And, you know, I love this phrase that you use, climate debt, and the fact that that's what we've been accruing all these years. The interest has been burning just piling and piling and we have to find a way how do we get rid of all of this interest and principal payments yeah but look what have we what have we spent that money on right so we have borrowed against the environment but the world has spent it on innovation we've got the internet we've got technology we, we've spent it on research and r&d we've spent it on uh, edu- more on education as well we spent it on collaboration globalization we're more connected so well you really are more optimistic than me i was going to say we spent it on weapons you know, that's that. That's what look, the vast majority of rich and poor countries have spent their money on. I mean, look, and, and some of that accrues positively back to solve the problems. I won't pretend all of it does, but um, hopefully enough, right? Like that's that's the question is it, you, we've got a loan and we've gone to uni and we've studied for 250 years and now can we use what we've learned to pay down our environmental debt in time? And it's going to come down to one thing I think is 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 tough and I don't know when it'll happen, but it will, is when is the moment when it's absolutely undeniable that we're, it's an emergency and a crisis? When a, a bomb explodes or there's, a, or there's a, a fight or a tornado or a tsunami, it's like really easy to see that event and easy to respond to it. Whereas so much about climate is is horribly to the analogy like the boiling frog, right? It's it's all happening very slowly, and for a lot of people, like they don't see it every day, um, and it'll it'll change as a very slow. But the ecosystem is significantly more fragile. We don't fully understand it. It's really really complicated, and we we can we what we have we have borrowed against that environment, and now the pressure is on. Is can we can we use what we've got to pay down that debt, or are we going to blow it all on? Um, weapons and cat videos like i think to your point i think there's enough people honestly the climate salad community is testament to the positivity there are mentors investors researchers entrepreneurs and everyone then no one's going holding and not wanting to share or solve like everyone there is positive and supportive and collaborative and and that's what, what I get a lot of my What I said about the startup community is that startups are not fighting other startups. They're fighting incumbent players or existing companies. And I think that when you look at the climate space more than anything else, all of these startups have that same notion of like, we're not fighting each other. But at the same time, they all share a larger vision of where they want to see the world to go. And I think that's something that's very different from just the tech world in general, where you Yeah, of course, you know, you go work at Google or Facebook, you get absorbed into their shared mission. This is something that is larger than than any one company, any one person. It's a really powerful vision to have, right? That's what you want to that's where you want to take. One last question I have for you, you know, your story is quite unique and we didn't even get to cover, you know, one of the things that I wrote down here, which was that you did marketing for Kazaa. Uh, which really took me back back to those Napster file sharing days. But what would you suggest to somebody who is sitting around is thinking that I don't want to quit my job right now, but I want to do something I want to help? What advice do you have to that person? Well, the first thing I'd say is if you truly want to help, my guess is there are more opportunities than you think to actually go and participate. Some people probably falsely believe that working in climate is like is like working for Greenpeace. You know, you're you're a volunteer, you don't get paid and it's you're against the world. And that's not the case anymore. Like it's 
this is a good business, there are good jobs, um, the most amount of capital is going in this direction than any other direction. My view is that a lot of people can live a great life and have a great mission in what they do. So at least look for that. And Climate Sale's got a job board and, and I'll, I'll work to get anyone a job interview if they if they contact me. The next thing is to, to think about your own personal power. There's no doubt that if every government in the world actually regulated and put a carbon price in, that that would make a big impact on every business. But we underestimate our individual power. Like we, your influence over the people you're around you of eating just a little bit less meat, of carrying a keep cup and, re, and using, re, you know, recycling. You are really, really significantly more influential than you think. You, As you said, you're voting with your dollars. You hopefully vote with voting too for those lucky enough to be able to have that right in democratic worlds, um, their countries. You know, use all those things. And one of the massive big things actually is employment. And so you might not want to change jobs, but go talk to your managers and leaders and say like, hey, why aren't we being more sustainable? What's our scope three emissions? What's our customers and suppliers like? So ask the questions. You know, it's again, it's it doesn't need everyone. It just needs someone to ask a question and be like, whoa, what if we lose all our employees? Like it's it's a massive issue for some of these big companies who are not even bad for the environment. These just ambivalent, like or apathetic. That's not good enough anymore. For anyone under 40, if you're not mission driven and have a climate positive policy, they are out of there. They will vote with their feet. And my view is you are massively more influential than you think. Just start making positive decisions and you will find good people around you. Mick, always and, been a um, great admirer going. of your energy and your persistence. Thanks so much for taking the time. It's been, been very enjoyable. Fantastic. Great to share. And um, thanks for all your support of the uh, climate tech companies in Climate Salad. Appreciate it.